Thank you. If you're visiting with us tonight, we sure appreciate your presence. We want you to come back every opportunity you can. Uh, we want you to be a part of God's family here at Highland Heights, and God wants you to be a part, if that's all possible, if you live in this area. And uh, we're just a simple bunch of folks, not perfect by any means, but we are following a perfect Savior, and we want you to, to enjoy those blessings that we bl we're blessed with as well. I have a few uh, guests here with me this, this evening. Uh, I have Maria Luisa de Oliveira Hondas and her daughter Susana. And uh, 52 years ago, I was received by this family in Brazil as an exchange student, 16-year-old bratty kid, and they put up with me for a whole year and uh, fed me, fattened me up, and uh, taught me how to speak Portuguese and learn to love Brazil. So they're here tonight. They just flew in today, and they're kind of uh, zonzo, you know, because they've been traveling for over 26 hours just to get here. But uh, I want you to meet them afterwards. You get the opportunity. And I'll tell a little bit more about them here in just a minute. Uh, <clears throat> turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. I'm going to read verses 11 through 19. It's where Jesus heals 10 lepers. Leprosy is a pretty nasty disease. Uh, it still exists in parts of the world. I've come across people in Brazil uh, that suffered with it. Now we have uh, medicines for that. At least it, I won't say it cures it, but at least it keeps it from getting worse. But at this time, it was probably one of the most dreaded diseases. See people's losing their the extremities of their hands and feet and their nose and things, and it's pretty r rough. But here Jesus shows compassion and love. And in verse 11, the Bible says, On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And the reason they stood at a distance because the law of Moses demanded that of them. If you had a skin disease, you weren't allowed inside the camp of Israel. You had to stay at a distance. If you ran across anybody, tell them that you're unclean. Don't come near us. It's one of the proofs that we know that the Bible's from God. God understood very clearly uh, contamination, how influences, sicknesses can pass from one person to another, something that we only found out in modern times, uh, the, the germs, contamination, uh, that modern science only found out in the last hundred and so years. So anyway, so these men are, are yelling out to Jesus, and they recognize who he is. They call him Master. And they recognize that he has the power to, to, to bless them. His fame has gone all throughout the land. People would bring their sick to Jesus to be healed. And so they're hollering out to him, Jesus, have mercy on us. Verse 14, when he saw them, he said, go and show yourselves to the priests. Now the reason uh, the law of Moses said that when you were healed from a skin disease, you couldn't just come back automatically into the, the community. You had to go first to a priest one of the Levit Levitical priests, and he had to examine you to, yes, confirm you are cured or you're over this sickness. And so he tells them to go and show yourselves uh, to the priests, but they're not healed yet. They're still in their sickness, and they're probably wondering, well, why are we going to go? We're still got leprosy. 
what good is this going to do? But the important thing is that they had faith to obey Jesus. And all throughout the Bible, the Old Testament, the New Testament, God saves us by grace through faith. And so these men showed faith because they took off. They obeyed Jesus. They believed in him. They believed his word. And as they went, they were cleansed. They were cleansed as they were going. Now, before uh, they knew that they were going to be cleansed, they obeyed Jesus. They trusted him. That's what faith means, is to trust. So they went. They were going to the priest. And as they were going, Jesus performs the miracle and cleanses them of their leprosy. Verse 15. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now, I don't think any of us can uh, uh, identify with being healed of leprosy, but I think this morning you saw when Jim King came forward and said that his doctors declared him cancer-free, the reaction everybody had, Imagine being cured of leprosy. I know years ago I had a, a knee surgery, some serious knee surgery, screws put in my knee and transplant ligament and everything. And uh, they said within nine months to a year I could be back. And uh, it was tough. You know, my leg froze up in a 45 degree angle and I would, they put me in back to sleep and bent my leg with force. and. Just, it was a tough time, and I was going through physical therapy. And I remember one day it moved about an inch. You know, I'd be just pulling on it, and it moved about an inch, and I started crying. So can you imagine what these men felt? They believed in Jesus, but it was practically too good to be true. And so this one man, when he realizes he's healed, what does he do? He does what we all should do naturally. Whenever we're blessed by God, we should thank God. And he comes back to Jesus in a loud voice, and he's praising God, and he falls on his face at Jesus' feet. He realizes he's before God, and he gives him thanks. Obviously a lesson for all of us, and we'll talk a little bit more about that here in a few minutes. But the Bible says, now he, this man that came back to thank God, was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, We're not ten cleansed. Where are the nine? Now, I'm sure each man's situation may be different. Maybe they were just so carried away the fact that they were healed that they wanted to run to the priest as quickly as possible and then get back to their families they haven't seen for years and just so overwhelmed that it just didn't think about coming back to praise God and to thank Jesus. Others, maybe, that they were never taught how to be grateful. And, or maybe just, they were, even though they were sick, it doesn't mean that they weren't uh, a narcissist and thought the world revolved around them. And, well, God took his time and he should have healed me sooner. But at any rate, Jesus said the one that came back to thank him was a Samaritan. Somebody that wasn't full-blooded Israelite. Somebody that was kind of marginalized because they didn't really believe. Their, their, their Jewish faith was certainly different than the pure Israelites. And verse 18, was no one found, Jesus speaking, was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? You know, sometimes God's people don't act like God's people should. Sometimes people in the world act better than we do. 
That should never happen. But it happens. We know that. And shame on us. Verse 19, and he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you whole. And, and he was already cured physically. But Jesus is affirming his salvation before God because he trusted in Jesus. He, he demonstrated gratitude, uh, gratitude to, toward God for his blessings. And it's set an example for all of us. Uh, I mentioned that uh, the Hondas family uh, took me in 1971. I got on the Brazilian Airlines out of New York City, Varig Airlines, propelled uh, airplane. It wasn't a jet. It was propellers going around. I'd never been on a plane before, and I thought, well, when it takes off, will my feet drop out, you know, what, the bottom drop out? I didn't know what to expect, you know, if you've never flown before. But uh, I got there. took about uh, a long time to get there back in those days. Here's a picture. Uh, on the right side there is Louisiana and her husband Lincoln and their son Marcelo. Now Marcelo was an exchange student to Williamsport, Pennsylvania. And then I came from Newcomerstown, Ohio to Belo Horizonte, Brazil. And there on the left is, is Lincoln Hondas and uh, two of his uh, girls there. And Susanna is the little short one there with the glasses. She's sitting over here now. And, uh, and I'm there uh, with a good friend of mine, uh, the kind of a young man that they sort of raised there at the family and in front of their Volkswagen bus. Now, I'd had my, I had gotten my American driver's license before I went to Brazil. I was 16, but I'd never driven a stick shift. And in Brazil, all the cars were stick shifts. So Mr. Hondas taught me how to drive a stick shift with that Volkswagen bus and let me use it quite frequently. And I had a lot of fun there driving that. Uh, later on, when I moved back as a missionary, I got my own Volkswagen bus, a 1984 uh, dual carbureted Volkswagen bus. But anyway, there they are, the wonderful family. Uh, missing a, a couple pictures here of some of the children. I just didn't have one with the whole family together. But uh, what I owe them, I can't even express how much love I owed them because they were patient with me, put up with my silliness, my foolishness, my ignorance, my, at times my ugly Americanness, and uh, they treated me like a king there. And they made sure that I uh, not only learned to speak Portuguese, but I learned to love the Brazilian culture and feel at home there. And, and they, I just could go on and on how much they affected my life. And the gratitude that I have towards them to this day, and it, hopefully it comes through. <laughs> but my point is when, when, when people shows us love, when they do something nice for us, we should show gratitude. It should be a natural reaction of the Christian. Now, I read a lot of studies from, from different universities, University of California, Davis, Harvard University, others, and these are some results of benefits when a person has an attitude of gratitude. Now, this is summing up a lot that could be said in some really impressive studies, but it says gratitude is key to positive outcomes in nearly every arena of health and well-being. They've discovered that it boosts your immune system, it lowers your blood pressure, it makes you feel more optimistic, decreases depression, improves your love life, and helps you cope even with even the most life-threatening crises. Okay? That's how awesome gratitude is. Now, you don't have to be a Christian to feel uh, gratefulness. To, I mean, everybody can. But as Christians, the Bible talks almost 400 times about being thankful. 
and expressing our thankfulness to God. And that's what worship's all about. We sing praises to God. We contribute. We dedicate our lives. And so gratitude is so, so important. It's a gift from God. But most importantly, an attitude of gratitude motivates us to serve God faithfully. You know, if you're only serving God faithfully because you have to, your parents drag you to church, or if you don't, people in church will talk bad about you, or, you know, if I don't serve God, then, you know, I'll end up in hell, and so I guess I got to do this. No, when you realize how much God has done for you, how much Jesus suffered for you, then anything and everything that we can do to honor him, to please him, to glorify him, we want to do. It's not so that we can earn our way into heaven. He's, Jesus paid the price for us to go to heaven. Now we're going to live a life continually dedicated to him to show him our gratitude. And then on top of all this, it's available to everyone and totally free. <laughs> you know, you don't have to be famous. You don't have to be wealthy. If you develop an attitude of gratitude, you'll have a blessed life and certainly a hope of heaven. But if an attitude of gratitude is so beneficial, why aren't we more grateful than we are? Now, think about that. That makes sense, right? If we know all those benefits come to us by having a, a, a grateful spirit, then why aren't we more? Well, I've enumerated here several here. First of all is because we've just not taught, been taught to be grateful. Uh, if you don't teach your children to say thank you, guess when they're going to say thank you? Very, very rarely. They're going to feel thankful very rarely. And I remember as a child, my, somebody would do something nice, especially my grandmother, my father's mother. She lived in another city. And she was a nurse at the children's hospital. and She would save her money and find some clothes for us kids on sale, one of those big stores there in the big city of Akron, Ohio. And, and she'd come to visit us, get on the Greyhound bus and come down to visit us and, and bring us things. Well, I was, as a child, real excited about clothes. But my dad would say, thank your grandmother, give her a hug, tell her thank you, you know, and everything. It's like, oh, okay. But as time went on, it became natural and really did mean it eventually and, and saw the, the sacrifices that other people made to bless you in your lives. So it's so important that you teach your children to be thank you. Anything you do for them, make sure they say thank you. Don't give it to them. You start to give them and they say, I want, I want a water or something. You go give them. And we'd say, what do you say? You know, and they say thank you. Uh, at home, you could read the book of Psalms. It's full of Psalms about thanksgiving. Or, or in your prayers, not just prayers of asking for things, but make your prayers full of, uh, of, of thanksgiving expressions. You know, we, we read that in, in Colossians 3 tonight. So sometimes we're not grateful, more grateful because we've not been taught to be, or we're just ignorant of the facts. We don't realize how much God has done and does for us. You know, Unfortunately, most of the world thinks we just are here by accident. There was this big explosion and some swamp water formed and we crawled out of this swamp and here we are, just a bunch of swamp accidents. No, God created us with, with uh, detailed and loving compassion and, and gave us a blessed life and world. And, and we need to realize that. Uh, my grandson, Daniel Gates Ribeiro, he's six years old, but about a couple years ago when he was four, my son Lucas in Brazil sent him through Amazon a, a, a birthday present. And uh, my daughter said to Daniel, uh, you need to thank Uncle Lucas for your present. And he said, well, Uncle Lucas didn't give me this present. She said, yes, he sent this to you. No, I got this from the mailbox. 
He was serious. <laughs> he was crediting the mailbox for his present. <laughs> we had to set him straight on that. But, but not just little kids mess things up. I don't know if you've ever heard of the Royal Gorge Bridge in Colorado. Maybe some of you have been, been there. It's the highest uh, suspension bridge in America, one of the highest in the world. Uh, it was built in 1929, you can see there. But what's interesting, it's all steel structure except for the uh, planks that go across there. And uh, this lady and her family, before her, her daughter graduated from high school and before she went off to college, uh, they flew out to Colorado, rented a car, and drove out there to, to see that in that national park there. And uh, they were, you can walk across it or you can drive across it. And so a car came as they were walking and those boards just rattled all to pieces. And the mother said to her daughter, I'm not driving our car across this bridge. They said, Mom, it's a rental. <laughs> Sometimes even older kids don't get it. So we're not more grateful because we're not taught to be or we're just ignorant of the facts. Or sometimes it's because we're comparing everything in our lives to an unrealistic utopia. Utopia means that world where everything is perfect. Well, guess what? Nothing in this world is perfect. The Bible teaches us very clearly because of man's fall, sin entered into the world, and we're all suffering, not just from the sin of others, but our own sins. Nothing is perfect. Your parents are perfect, shock, shock. Your children are not perfect, your teachers, your church is not perfect, your elders, your deacons, your ministers. No one is perfect. But when we have this unrealistic expectation of life in general, then it's so easy to find fault and criticize and not be grateful. Rather than comparing ourselves to other countries, we want to compare ourselves to this country that doesn't exist in our own heads. And we just cause anguish and anxiety and, and confusion among and in everyone's lives. And number four, Sometimes we're just not more grateful because we don't try to be. We don't make an effort at it. Uh, some people suggest if you want to be more grateful, maybe have a journal and every day write down three things that you're thankful for. You know, just so many things. You, uh, when I would teach uh, some of the high school classes, every class I would start out with, we would go around the room and I would have, before we had the prayer, and I'd ask everyone to say something that they're thankful for. And sometimes they have trouble. Oh, I'm thankful for my food. I'm thankful for my mom. You know, but, you know, oh, you took the one I was going to say. And it's, it's a struggle. I'm, I'm not trying to condemn, but as Americans, we're so spoiled. We've got things so good, and we think this is normal, and it's not. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 7 through 11 say, For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper, and you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Now here's the warning. God's blessings should make us to love him more, to humble ourselves more, to realize, look how much he's done and does for us, and we should be more dedicated. But the reality is sometimes, verse 11, God says, take care, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. 
That's crazy, but it's true. The more God blesses us, sometimes we, we back up because we think we're the source of these blessings. Or God gave them to me because I deserve them. No, God gives them to us because he's a loving God and he wants to bless you and wants you to be a blessing to others. There's a song. Uh, let me ask you, who knows this song? Thank you, Lord, for your blessings on me. Does anybody know the song? I see a few hands. Two? Oh, no. Because we're going to sing this song. I'm going to try. I shouldn't do this. I know I shouldn't, but I'm going to try. I just learned this song the other day. I know it's at least 10 years old, but I just heard it the other day, and I love this song. I'm playing it about every day. Uh, it's real simple. <clears throat> we'll try it here, okay? Glovers, you guys got to sing out, all right? It goes like this. <clears throat> While the world looks upon me as I struggle alone, and they say I have nothing, but they are so wrong. In my heart I'm rejoicing, and how I wish they could see. Thank you, Lord, for your blessings on me. There's a roof up above me. I've a good place to sleep. There's food on my table and shoes on my feet. You gave me your love, Lord, and a fine family. Thank you, Lord, for your blessings on me. There's some other verses, but, you know, how often do we thank God just for the shoes that you're wearing? I know a, a, a great Christian man in Brazil, he's, he's since passed away, but he became a great leader in the church there. But he was 14 years old before he wore his first pair of shoes. And that was because he lied about his age, said he was 18, went to the army, and they gave him some boots. We just don't realize how blessed we can be. You know? And so I've got a roof up above me. I've got a good place to sleep. But no, we want to complain about everything, criticize everything, and we forget all the good things God has given us. Uh, to finish up here, I want to list four habits of people who are grateful to God. First of all, we sing to God. If you're grateful to God, that's what these songs are all about. How many songs are praise songs to God? We gather here together and we praise God and we thank Him and, and we glorify His name. Number two, we give to God. On the first day of the week, we give not because we're obligated, because God will strike us dead if we don't give. No, we want to give everything to God. Now, Everybody's going to have to decide in your heart and in your mind, everything, what you can give. That's our struggle. It's how much can I give? Also, if we're living a life that's grateful to God, we're going to have communion with God and His family. Communion through the Lord's Supper, the cup of blessing that we partake of. We, we remember what Jesus did for us. And, and 1 John chapter 1, verse 7 says, If we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And so... If we're grateful to God, we'll have that fellowship and we'll walk in the light. And finally, uh, we'll treat people like we would treat Jesus himself. You know, it's so easy to be good to people who are good to you. Jesus himself said that. He said even pagans are, love those that love them. But we need to learn to treat people that maybe don't treat us so well. Maybe they'll learn from your example. Or, or at least there'll be some coals, heaping coals on their head anyway. Okay, I want to finish here by asking you. Will you commit your life now to living gratefully to God?
If we can help you in any way, we ask you to come now as together we stand and sing.